I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Megan. Hey, how are you doing, Tyler? I'm great. I think I think we've got a Tyler episode on our hands here today. You mentioned that over text, and I am really intrigued <laughs> what makes you say that and what makes a Tyler episode. Yeah, I think that's something that we're going to have to get into. Okay. Yeah. What is it? So, well, I'm going to want to learn, for context, we're on season three, episode three, The Coup. But yeah, once we get there, I am going to want to learn if you similarly think that this is a Tyler episode. And yeah, what does that mean? I, yeah, I will say I like this episode. Okay. I do, I do, I do, I do. So <laughs> your, your theory might be correct. Okay, good, good. Um, Do you have any uh, revisions and regrets? Absolutely, I do. Oh, uh-oh. So this really was a missed question that you early in our last episode mentioned, and then we never got to. You said you wanted to talk about Cosmos. And we forgot about it. And that is the drink, of course, that Michael is pouring in his hotel room in the the convention episode. And you had something on that and we missed it. And I wanted to come back. Okay, so I'm pretty sure it was the very. okay. so it was my 21st birthday and it was the first time I like went out drinking Uh at like a bar and. Uh, I can't remember what year this was, but it would have been 2000 and something, you know, 2003, four, five, whatever. I don't know. But the point, the reason I mentioned that is because it was, you know, like sex in the city era. Um, Yeah. I feel like Cosmos were real popular or whatever. Um, didn't that show kind of make them famous? I think so. Um, and although I was not like a person that watched a ton of Sex in the City, I am a person that really likes a sweet cocktail. I like a I like a drink that doesn't taste like booze. And uh, so anyway, I think probably what I was referencing there was that I think my first like official 21 year old drink was a Cosmo. And then um, I drank a bunch of them. And got really, really sick. Um, but I just always remember, like, I went to the bathroom, you know, threw up, came back, and everybody was like, <laughs> oh, you, everybody was like, oh, you just threw up. And I was like, how did you know? Like, I, I thought I was playing it really cool. And they're like, you're not playing it cool. <laughs> Very obvious. I was like, yeah, oh. That, for sure. <laughs> so I don't know. That's probably what was crossed my mind was Cosmos. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. How do you feel about a Cosmo? Do you like cocktails? Great. Yeah. And I, I love, I love a sweet and fruity cocktail. Mm. Um, yeah, I think they are delicious. I think they're interesting as a drink that has, is both very, very popular, became very popular, but it feels like it got this thing attached to it where it's like, and this is probably just a sexist thing that's attached to it, but that it's like a girly drink. Right, right. And it's sex in the city drink. And so it's supposed to be kind of embarrassing to order. Yeah. And so I sort of feel that. And at the same time, I'm like, that's just a delicious beverage. And I really appreciate it that Michael just knows it's delicious and goes for it. Totally. You know? I, uh, 
Yeah, well, I'm always ordering the like, you know, drink with like an entire can of fruit in it mm-hmm. um, with umbrellas. <laughs> What's, and the drink? What's the drink that, um, you remember the drink that Kelly orders in the casino night episode in the warehouse? Oh. And I think it's like a seven and seven with a ton of maraschino cheese. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be me. <laughs> but they're always, and then Jen is always ordering, you know, like, whiskey or you know or an old-fashioned you know she really likes that's who i want to be oh man i don't because i want to be the whiskey neat drinker i think that's why i'm like yeah i want the cosmo and i'm like i wish i want to want the really masculine you know (laughs) what am i even trying to describe i don't know Like, I want the manly, like, you know, I've been out in the field wrangling the horses, and now I'm just going to have a little whiskey drink. Um, but what I really want is the Cosmo. <laughs> I love, okay, there's so much that I want to unpack there, but among them, it's like, you're like a farmhand, or you, you're living on a ranch? Maybe um, this goes back to my early aspiration to be a farmer. Yes, oh, right, and... uh yeah, okay. I mean, it's giving me Brokeback Mountain. It's giving me, you know, uh, uh, yeah, like classic cowboy Megan. I'm loving that. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I, this speaks to our kind of our, our crisscrossy relationships to gender because <laughs> I don't want the butch drink and I, and I don't want to want the butch You're drink. You're proud not to want it. Yeah, okay. I'm definitely <laughs> like, and yeah, I'm like, give me that, give me my like fruity whatever. And it is partly, I think, like it's it's one of my femme, you know, uh, pleasures, but it's also like an uncomplicated one because it's like, yeah, it just tastes good. I love this. And I don't understand how our society was like gendered uh, taste in this way, but, yes. but we have. That is actually, that's a really, really fascinating point. I love that you are so right. Yeah, we have gendered taste. Because yeah, so that it's like there are tastes that are supposed to be feminine and supposed to be masculine, which is absurd. And it always just seems to give some superiority, you know, because like it's yeah. not it's not as cool to like sweetness and it's not as cool to like whatever. Wow. Tyler, I think that my desire to desire the whiskey neat is just a sign of internalized sexism or something like that. <laughs> Or it's your like kind of queer gender fluidity, you know. I'm gonna read it in a more that sounds better. That sounds better. Yeah, Yeah, let's go. It's your uh, not that I'm projecting that onto you, that's yours to claim. Not that you're accepting, not that you're accepting the concept that whiskey is a fundamentally masculine beverage. Yeah, (laughs) I know. But uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, well, first, you know, I think probably my favorite all time go to drink is margarita. And one of our devoted listeners, uh, Corey, is um, coming back to my area uh, this week or so. And we have a standing plan to go to Chili's and order Presidente Margaritas. So I know I want you to come too. she definitely wants to meet you. So we got to make this happen. Um, Okay. Okay. Let's do this. Yeah, I want to be I want to be included in this at some at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, should we stroll over to the receptionist's corner? Yes. Did I get it right? Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. All right. Let's <laughs> oh, wait, do it. Wait, 
weekly receptions. I don't know, but you definitely hit one of the titles. I got one on the word reception at weekly reception. All right. Um, well, we have a follow-up email as we requ requested from Teal. Um, and so I'll just read that now. It says, hi, I felt famous when you read my email on the pod. I'm a little cringe hearing it read aloud. Well, <laughs> buckle up, Teal. That's that's why we have revisions and regrets. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when we cringe on hearing ourselves, we get oh, to come back. All the time. So cringe. Okay. I did what you asked and made a running stream of consciousness list while I listened to this week's episode. All right. So here we go. This will be a good refresher for us as well. Oh, yeah, we need this. It's been a bit. So on hearing that Megan has a strict no guess policy on the pod, <laughs> but Tyler would have had me. I guess <laughs> I'll have to submit a petition. Um <laughs> I would never cross Megan, you know, uh, I'm Megan's my ride or die. Uh, so, you know, your petition will go unanswered. Um, <laughs> can I, I feel like I should address this. Yeah, you can address, you can address. It. And the thing is, I kind of hate podcasts with guests because you don't know what to expect. And some of them are, Fabulous, as I am confident Teal would be. Mm -hmm. But then you get the ones that are annoying mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. who you just don't really want to hear from. I don't know why. There's just something about the guest format that I don't like. And uh, for example, when I listen to Gilmore Guys, mm. some inspiration for this podcast, Gilmore Guys, two guys who watch all episodes of the Gilmore Girls and discuss them. They have um, guests and there are a couple repeat guests that are really fantastic. And then sometimes it's just unlistenable. Um, Demi and Kevin, I love you both if you're listening. And I'm sure you are. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I kind of feel bad about that. But I also feel like I just have to maintain it as a rule. Because here's the problem if you open it up. How do you say no to the people who you think are going to be bad? Mm, mm. I think it I think it opens up a lot of awkward conversations. I mean, for me, it's a much more practical issue of it is hard enough for you and I to find time to record. Why, did I, why did I not just claim that this was about practice? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna revise and regret that later. Uh, <laughs> no, I agree with you. Plus, I, you know, we got a nice energy. We got a good vibe. We're bringing in guests via the receptionists, via yes. the weekly receptionist. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, uh, no, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, I'm so glad you listened to me about the Insta bio. But no, Tyler, I don't use Twitter, which is great. Neither do I. Uh, <laughs> this is my favorite sentence in the whole email. I like that Megan has boundaries and the random questions Tyler asks her. <laughs> um, now i there i don't know if those like if it's like i like those two things or if it's i like that megan has boundaries and the random question tyler asks her to push those boundaries like unclear interesting okay raising here but i think it was in reference to maybe your boundaries about not wanting to do like a star trek podcast or something like that. oh yes yeah i did draw from line there yeah you do yeah 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 no i uh I'm processing that in therapy, you know, whatever. Great, great. I'm happy to talk to you about your feelings about me not liking <laughs> But I cannot invest more time in Star Wars. 
I think I said Star Trek number one. Star, <laughs> Star Wars slash Trek, any of the Star franchises. Have you invested any? Okay, whatever. Also, I feel like I just got a unique window. We talked at length on a couple of episodes ago about how I argue in a relationship. And I feel like we all just got a real unique window into how you argue in a really? relationship. Really? What did you find? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, that I'm willing to listen to your complaints about yeah. do anything about them. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to talk about your feelings about this. Yeah. <laughs> also, I feel like I'm going to start using that at work with coworkers, students, or whatever. Like, I'm yeah. willing to hear your feelings on the thing that I'm not going <laughs> to do. <laughs> okay. Um. No, I still don't like The Office and I like to listen before I watch because then it's like I'm watching with you. If there is something you thought was funny or things you've analyzed, it makes the show better. I still suffer from the cringe like Tyler and I still would not watch it without the pod because I don't find it funny except when you guys think it's funny. It's really? like you watch something with a friend and they laugh at the things which make you laugh. Huh. I think that's so fascinating. It's fascinating. I do find that true. I don't really love watching comedy by myself. Usually, I, I don't think it's as funny as when I'm with other people. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. Do you ever watch stand-up specials? Yeah, I will watch that. I will watch that, and I'll watch those by myself. Yeah, right. Um, there is something about the group component, but it's it's. I'm kind of blown away, Teal, that you are willing to watch the show that you don't like, but that it has an effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't believe that. Anyone could not come around and not think The Office is funny in and of itself. But uh, that we can make it funny is really flattering. Yeah, I'll take I'll take some. I like that. Okay, we're we're not so bad. Yeah, we're not um, so bad. I am flattered and worried that you are running with my authorization of psychoanalysis without a guest segment. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next line is, "Oh my God, now you're worried that I'm psychoanalyzing you." <laughs> Yes, but soon we'll be psychoanalyzing you, Teal, as you see. Uh, but the next sentence is maybe my favorite. I agree. I hate polos, Tyler. Okay, good. So you got someone You got someone on your side for that. Yeah, I think I called them boner killers, right? That's exactly what you called them. Yeah, I was hoping we'd get more listener feedback on that to see. Kind of test the waters, you know, see what's the, what's the general vibe on polos. Uh, can we talk about how heteronormative the dating rules are? None of this applies when you are dating the same sex. So this is the rules that they're giving Pam, right? Uh, for yeah, like the like, order, the most expensive thing on the menu. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's such a great point. That's such a great point. Because um, those are all then like all of those assumptions, right? About who who buys, like the nature of the transaction, right? Like who right. gives what, who gives money, and who gives sexual whatever um yeah, yeah is then like in need of negotiation or discussion or just like is not assumed in the same way that's a great point uh i always check hotel beds for bugs absolutely not fucking with that <laughs> nice and then and that's the end of my stream of consciousness you did ask for it so hopefully you enjoy we absolutely enjoy very much. I think it's so fun getting these messages. Uh, it's a nice, I don't know if, if I do, I, I really like it as a way into the pot of the day. So yeah, please keep sending us messages. Yeah, I do too. Helpful for us too, remembering what the last episode was about. Yeah, I needed that refresher. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Well, so if you want to email us, you can at the best office hours podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us and uh, comment at office underscore hours, uh, under, office underscore hours underscore podcast. That's it. <laughs> uh, and then Twitter, which we don't use, and maybe it's crashing, is office underscore HRS underscore pod. Uh, and that's that. Should we jump in? Let's do it. All right. So this is season three, episode three, The Coup. Uh, after Jan busts Michael for hosting Movie Monday during work hours, Dwight makes a secret play for Michael's job. All right. Initial thoughts. Initial thoughts. The second part of the sentence, Dwight makes a secret play for Michael jo Michael's job. I feel like that's the heart of the Tyler episode-ness of this. Mm -hmm. And this one made me think back to Dwight's speech. Because I feel like you really, um, you really blossom when there is both a Dwight heavy plot and when it's a political Dwight narrative. And yes. so I feel like this overthrow of power is just completely, you know, in your your field here. I okay. I will say, I was like, oh my god. This is Macbeth. This is Shakespearean. This is amazing. And yeah. <laughs> I was Googling the episode, you know, to get the script so that, you know, I could take notes and stuff. And I pulled up the Wikipedia and like the first paragraph, they're like, everyone has compared this to Macbeth and Shakespeare. And I was like, God damn it. I was That's like, so funny. I did not even think about that. And I feel kind of bad about it. Oh, no, don't. Uh, because I'm like, it's so thin or whatever, you know, with the references, you know, it's, or there's not even references. It's just that Angela is kind of like whispering in his ear, you know, encouraging him to, to overthrow. But I was like, Ooh, I was so excited by that whole power game. Yes. And, oh yeah. The, I cannot wait to talk about the scenes where Dwight has taken over and Michael is pretending to, uh, be overthrown or whatever and we know that michael knows but dwight doesn't know that michael knows it oh i love it it's excruciating but also hilarious because it is all about those yeah power games so yeah. i think you're you're seeing me but now here's a real question okay. is it is an is a tyler episode by default an anti-megan episode or a non-megan like is this a least yeah. favorite for you you asked me over the text. I said, I think this is a Tyler episode. You said, ooh, so does that mean you hate it? And I just never responded to that. I know. I know you didn't respond. I know. I don't hate it. There are some things. I actually have a list of stuff I like. Is one of the categories in my notes. There are a number of things that I really love about it. But I will say most of them are not involving Dwight directly well they're involving him but most of them are Michael based items <laughs> is that yeah, just our so, vibe now is it like I'm a Dwight stan and you're a Michael stan and that's I guess that's so. it? it's All hard right. to it's hard to break that but yeah we can we can keep thinking more about why all right well I know exactly where I want to start and okay. it's Michael's office where he opens up a safe to get yes. the DVD for Varsity Blues. 
And I'm just curious if you had, I was like, I bet Megan paused this and did a like forensic analysis of all of that. So I'm just curious if you had thoughts on the safe or the fact that there is a safe. Yes. So I couldn't see, you're right. I did pause and I wanted to be able to see actually what was in the safe and I couldn't see it well enough. Um, but the fact that he keeps his DVDs in the safe, I think there's something interesting about what Michael prioritizes as his top most valuable things. And Varsity Blues feels in general fairly replaceable and not super desirable to steal, but I like the level of value that Michael places on it. I think my favorite thing, you know, I'll say some of the things are in there that we've seen before, like the Pepto-Bismol, the Old Spice. My favorite was seeing his Hooters shirt. Uh-huh. in there, which we saw when he went to lunch with Jim, that Jim came back with Hooters t-shirt. We didn't see if Michael brought back a shirt, but I think that that's probably what it's from. And he has kept it in there in his treasure trove. Not in the safe, but next to the safe. That um, Old Spice deodorant was huge. It seemed like excessively big to me. I, don't know, I always buy full size and that kind of thing. So <laughs> I do too. I'm... <laughs> I don't know. If the, I'm just saying it. I don't know. I got to look back. It looked like it was. You can look back. We can return and revise and revise. Uh, yeah, I'm going to revise and resubmit that. Um... Disproportionately... <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've disclosed too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so there. Well, have you seen Varsity Blues? No. Good question. And you know what? I didn't even look it up, but I should have. It's like a high school football movie, right? Yes. James Vanderbeek. Uh, Vanderbeek, that's who it is. Era. Um, I don't yeah. remember what year. I would guess like 98. Let's see. Varsity Blues, 99 almost. Okay. Uh, James Vanderbeek, John Voigt, Paul Walker, uh, rest in peace. And, John uh, Voigt. The Scott only Conn. way I know who John Voigt is, is George Costanza in Seinfeld buying what he believes is John Voigt's used car. Oh. Turns out not to be. I don't actually know who John Voigt is aside from that. Uh, well, John Voigt is Angelina Jolie's father. And this brings us back to the Angelina Jolie thread from yes. uh, last episode. Um, all right. Well, here's just the brief little uh, summary from Wikipedia. Varsity Blues uh, follows a small town high school football team through a tumultuous season in which the players must deal with the pressures of adolescence and their football obsessed community while having their overbearing coach constantly on their back. In the small fictional town of West Canaan, Texas, football is a way of life and losing is not an option. So, so I, I've never seen it. Which is it. How is this related to Friday Night Lights? It seems the same. Uh, it sounds like the same. Isn't it kind of the same premise? Yeah, it very much is. What the, um, relationship is there, but yeah, I have those two things like mingled. I actually haven't seen either one, but I've got them mingled in my head, and that must be why. Okay, so uh -huh. so Texas town, heavy football culture. It's about high school. I'm trying to think about what it is that makes Michael really love this movie. Uh, just really quickly, it seems from quick Googling that Friday Night Lights is based on a book and that Varsity Blues maybe drew inspiration from the book. And then it, I don't know. I don't know if they're related at all, but I, mm -hmm. people will write into us to find out. But yeah, I kept trying to think like why this movie, it does seem like it's totally, uh, 
Well, I mean, uh, no, hold on. Let's take it seriously. Yeah. It's about teamwork. Mm-hmm. It's about having like a apparently an overbearing coach or whatever. So there's the question of like a boss or a leader, models of leadership. Um, I don't know. All I remember is from the trailer, there's a iconic moment that I feel like people quote or is a meme where James Vanderbeek is saying, I think to his father, in this really bad, like kind of Texas accent or whatever, but he's, which I'm not going to try to do, but he says, I don't want your life. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, I don't know. Do you have a theory on, on why this movie or thoughts on those theories are really, really good. Just starting to look at some of the pictures. I think the only thing I would add is it seems like sort of a teen heartthrob show. Yeah. Which is like (laughs) both interesting, an interesting choice. Um, an adult man but and maybe entourage is kind of um yeah but it's like you know cool sexy like popular seeming appearing young men and young people it's just hmm. i you know what i will go watch varsity blues i am willing to watch that for the show i hate you right now (laughs) come on man it's weird because actually and i here's the thing about me I hate football. Sorry, America. I, um, <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so I really am painfully bored by football and pretty much sports in general, but I can really get behind a good sports movie. Oh, I'm with you on that. Sports I mean, movies are like, kind of fun. You put it to music, yep. you get that like montage of training. Yep. And, Love like, a training montage. And sweating and there's the music and they get stronger and yep. it's just all short. You don't have to sit and watch the game for four hours. It's like yes, four minutes. And uh, so that really is the way that I can connect with sports. I am so with you. I vividly remember going to sporting things and or watching them and being so confused that there was not a soundtrack, uh, that there was not music playing like while they play, you know, <laughs> movies. Oh. And I was like, this is so not exciting. Like there's not. Yeah. Like uh, give me Mighty Ducks. Or Mighty Ducks to yes. any day of the week um, over, you know, whatever, real hockey. So, no, I'm with you. I, I, I We could watch. We'll do a side side pod for this. Uh, I'm trying I think, to think. Yeah, we, can do, we can do an annex episode on um, Varsity Blues. I bet Michael would be a big fan of the Mighty Ducks, though. Oh, yeah. Come on. But I don't. I never watched Entourage. The only impression I have of it is that it's, like, about douchebag guys. That's all I know. <laughs> I think who are like maybe agents or something in Hollywood. I have no idea. Yeah. I watched it actually when, um, back when Netflix was sending physical DVDs. Oh. And yeah, it's like the main guy is an actor and he had, it's his entourage. So he's, I think a pretty famous, attractive, fairly well-known actor. And, um, yeah, like he's got his entourage, his friends. I think some of it's the friends that he's grown up with. So oh. that's kind of interesting because it's, I think maybe the friends, were they from, did he come from New Jersey or from somewhere? It was like, he wasn't from a Hollywood family. Mm. Not an Angelina Jolie, if you will. Um, so he came, like he came from somewhere else. And so it's a story of like his massive success. And I think the little group that's around him. Okay. And I don't remember it enough to fill in any detail about that other than that there was a guy named turtle um but that also seems like kind of an aspirational thing for michael you know like 
breaking through and being a hugely successful entertainer, but like not leaving people behind and bringing your home people with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's true. If I'm accurately remembering Entourage, so we can revise and regret if I'm Well, so they watched Entourage. Um, it sounds like one episode of Entourage, but they watched that six times. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'd be curious what that was. Um, they're watching half hour installments of various <laughs> movies. Uh, my favorite part of all of this, though, is the logistics. And so you've got pan making. I didn't count them, but at least like five or six full bags of popcorn. Yes. Which Michael is eating an entire bag. And, <laughs> I'm, and I'm wondering, is that why you love popcorn so much? Is because Michael Scott also loves popcorn? But I maybe I've mentioned this on the pod, but whenever I eat popcorn, I think of you. Uh, really? Yeah, well, because you always made popcorn when we lived together. And I was like, oh, that smells so good. You were like, yeah. I was a big pop stovetop popcorn. I still do it. I forget about it. I don't do it as often as I should. But we can hand this over to Teal for the psychoanalysis. I feel like my dad was a big eater and maker of popcorn. Uh, it was like a family snack. <laughs> well, Michael isn't sharing his bag with the whole group. Here's a here's a trick for microwave popcorn that this is something that my dad used to do that I feel like was pretty brilliant. Instead of just opening it, you like cut out, you take scissors and you cut out the top so that it just becomes like more open. And then you don't have to stick your hand in and get like the butter, you know, where you hit the top of the bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just easier access. So I recommend just going with a pair of scissors, doo -doo -doo -doo, just cut out like a nice big, big circle in the top. Um, but I don't think he should share that individually because I think if you want something substantial, you need to eat that full bag of popcorn. Yeah, that's true. I really appreciated that he provided it. I don't understand circumstances like that where people don't take the food. I was shocked. I was shocked. Delicious. And not to be, you know, like whatever stereotypical, but that we have represented Kevin as somebody who's like always kind of ready to eat stuff mm -hmm. right which is something we'll have to talk about as the show goes on but i was sort of shocked that nobody wanted popcorn not even kevin or you know whoever yeah. I don't know. even pam doesn't seem interested i was like come on does popcorn not have the upstanding reputation that i think it does as just being a delicious snack and it makes it so much more fun it combines well with the movie um, I think they, they made it sound like it's quite early in the morning, right? And so... Oh, that's funny. That's a, Is that true? I don't know. But either way, if it is in the morning, would you eat popcorn in the morning? Oh, yeah. It's not an afternoon snack. No, it's a nanny. It's an anytime snack. My favorite part about this, or what has become my favorite part, I think, is when <laughs> Pam comes in with a tray of popcorn and asks if anyone wants it. And Michael says in this really obnoxious voice, something like, yes, please, thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, I think it's very funny. And Dan now uses that just to annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. <laughs> so if ever I'm like, you know, yeah, do you want to whatever? Yes, please. My brother picked it up, does it too. It's, yeah, so it's kind of a, a thing. If you want to know how to annoy me, Tyler, say yes, please, thank you in the Michael but, Scott voice. So why does it annoy you, though? Because it sounds like you're so charmed by it that Michael does it. I know. <laughs> it's like a, it's a complicated mixture of feelings here. Understood, understood. <laughs> I love, okay, so in rather than ask anybody if they want popcorn first, 
they mm. pop, you know, like six bags of it, which is amazing. <laughs> then uh, Dwight is giving people like assigned seats mm-hmm. and, you know, telling them where to sit. And then Kevin acts out the scenes or whatever recaps from the previous week. I don't know why, but just the like the whole setup, the structure of that just makes it's so funny to me. And also it's just so funny that Michael does not want he it's not only that he doesn't want to be a boss, like he doesn't even really want to work. Like he just wants he just wants friends to watch movies with him. It's so oh, sad. you're right. Oh. oh, they are friends to watch movies with him. And interestingly, in this time, he's very dismissive of Dwight when Dwight wants to be the one, you yes. know, to do the recap. Yeah. And just Dwight off and, and Kevin does it. I do really love how Michael sets it up when he does previously on Varsity Blues <laughs> <laughs> before Kevin talks. Um, Angela doesn't approve and Jan is upset about losing time. Um and uh, and Angela's disapproval of Monday or Movie Monday is kind of what sets up this plot of Dwight uh, ratting out Michael, or at least um, you know mm-hmm. trying to make a play for the job, right? Mm-hmm. One thing that this like so after after Jan comes in, there's this talk between Angela and Dwight, and Angela's telling him Michael's going to get us all fired. You sat back and let him play the dumb movie. And now Jan is peeved off and we're all going to lose our jobs. And it goes then. So they have this conversation and um, Dwight then has this little interview where he says, ever, ever since Michael dumped Jan for Carol, Jan's been bitching out on him. And then this I love, reject a woman and she will never let it go. One of the many defects of their kind. Also weak arms. <laughs> <laughs> this is. This is one of my favorite office lines of all time for some reason. What? <laughs> you are a mystery to me in so many ways. <laughs> what is it that makes this so funny? I think just the language that Dwight uses to talk about women in terms of defects. <laughs> They're kind. Like, like a species, yeah, kind. Exactly, exactly. A species with defects. Um, many defects. This is just one of them. He has it's sort of like um I don't say almost like a like a taxonomy of women or something like that, where it's like they've got all of these features. Right? Yeah. Like women as a type, as a kind, have all of these features. One of them is that you if you reject them, she will never let it go. They have lots of defects. Then the way he just tacks on also weak arms as an additional example of a defect. I don't know why it just makes me laugh it's so funny am I wrong is this an insane choice for a line to really like no I mean I think it's I think it's um I mean it's just fascinating what stands out to you um (laughs) but one thing that this makes me think well okay so Dwight I feel pretty I mean, on the other, every week you're trying to like make a case for Michael, who's super problematic. So I feel like I'm safe for me to always be defending Dwight, even though his actual ideologies are, you know, pretty bad um, all around. And he's a misogynist. At the same time, what is really funny to me about this line is like, okay, so, you know, I'm teaching gender or sexuality or whatever. And inevitably, I always have students be like, well, it's just a fact that women are weaker than men, you know? And it's like, 
they're always like bringing up as if like weak arms is not a thing that most men also have <laughs> a <laughs> b as i'm always pointing out to them like okay well how do you define strength like why would our culture like organize strength around like biceps or whatever which is i think mm -hmm. even a thing that's changing now now it's like abs but you know for a while it was like arms have to be strong and you know whatever that's the sign of power and masculinity and all this kind of stuff but like i remember having a lesbian studies professor be like what if we define strength by you know around being capable of giving birth you know because mm -hmm. that's like really strenuous on a body or whatever and i was like oh holy shit that like changed my point of view but yeah. so anyway i just kind of it feels like a parody of that kind of um simplistic gender biology yeah you know, idea um that i just feel like is prominent i don't know um that part stands out to me but yeah i don't know the rest i'm not sure what it is i'm like now i want to psychoanalyze you and try to figure out what it is is it is is what's so funny to you the kind of almost like um that he sees women as like an alien species or that he's like something like that yeah just an idiot something like that i like the way you put it the kind of simplistic gender ideology i think i like I think I like this kind of humor or I think it's interesting something that's um repeating sexism in a way that I feel like exposes just something interesting about it and partly the way he puts it into these kind of technical biological animal species kinds of terms about defects of their kind mm -hmm. but that idea reject a woman and she will never let it go is also just like you know women like, right, you know, right. like a more a more standard like more tame way often of talking about ways that women are and <laughs> Dwight just kind of puts that sentiment into this really neat little package and yeah. so I just I just think it's hilarious well this also goes to one of okay so first you know one of the defects of their kind they're playing up the fact that he's like a nazi or whatever right or like comes from nazi yeah. heritage i think uh which i mean as we go on we'll have to discuss i think a bit like what what are the stakes of that joke or what but anyway it amuses me um but also his kind of like misogyny is going to come back around in one of my favorite scenes in the office as a show Woo! i am making a claim i think it is both hilarious and um clever when later you know dwight's like i can save the branch uh or whatever where is the line where after he's been with angela uh but basically when he tells angela like you can lead the women um yeah, yeah. oh he says it's really happening yes he says or angela says we can make a difference here dwight says i will make a difference here um and she goes, you alone? Because I thought together we could, oh, please, don't be naive. <laughs> but you can be in charge of the women. And she smiles and is so pleased. And it is, uh, to me, I was like, oh, this is the entire premise of like Handmaid's Tale, which is like a show I can only watch. I've only watched a few episodes of because I find it so like so upsetting and painful. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I can't speak too much, but just like the premise in which you know men have you know this like entirely patriarchal dominated society but like as far as i understand when they 
you know, sort of on show the backstory and stuff. It's like there were these women who were handmaidens or, you know, kind of like helped usher in this patriarchal, you know, uh, ultra conservative takeover, thinking that they too would share in that power, Hmm. even though the discourse was all kind of like misogynist and around traditional gender roles and all this kind of stuff, but thinking that they, it wouldn't like count for them and that, oh no, like you two are also going to be subject to, you know, our, our reign or our authority. And so I just kind of thought it was really interesting that that similar idea was in play here. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was like a clever, <laughs> a clever parody of, of fascism and patriarchy and like Angela thinking she can align herself uh, and she will be saved. But then it's like, oh, you can run the women. And it's like, in his mind, yeah. that's a lesser task. But uh-huh. she is nonetheless delighted to have any kind of power. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that makes me laugh so much. Does that make me a bad person? I don't know. I thought it was funny. I just spent five minutes talking about how I like to quote about the defects of women kind. So. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But it is really interesting. So it this episode it is actually really interesting because it gives us a lot of Dwight's thinking about women. Yes. Um, and about like what happens with power. Like kind of how does the negotiation of power work and how like what kinds of transactions take place in order to get to a position of power both with Angela and with Jan. And then what happens as soon as Dwight actually gets it? I was reminded of the time when Jim tells him, I'm forgetting the context of it exactly, but Jim says about Dwight, I think it's when he gets to decide who works on weekends. Jim says that is literally the least amount of power I've ever seen go to anyone's head. Like, <laughs> right, like Dwight can get this small amount of power and kind of become a problem. But when he gets this large amount of power or thinks he gets this large amount of power, it's very revealing. <laughs> I was shocked that, okay, a couple of things. I was shocked that Jan didn't take advantage of Dwight's um, offer in some way, because I don't know, it feels to me like Jan hasn't always been super impressed by Michael's uh, management style. And so, yeah, I was just kind of intrigued that she doesn't like, not that she necessarily wants Dwight to be the manager, but uh, you know, if you've just caught Michael doing movie Monday, like, why wouldn't you kind of use this opportunity to get rid of him? I know mm-hmm. that that would like change the show, but it was just interesting that she immediately calls Michael after the meeting to say, I had a very interesting meeting. And Michael's like, oh, my God, that's great. <laughs> and she's like, it's not great. I, know. I love that. And then she's like, um, you know, you need to get your you can't have can't have people undermining you get control yeah. of the branch immediately. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's her response. Um, I felt like here I appreciated that she had his back. So even though she clearly doesn't think of him as a perfect manager, she knows that Dwight is kind of a weirdo. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. yeah. I like it that she doesn't just take him as a completely accurate source. (laughs) You know what I mean? Which I feel like is a possibility to do, like when there is a complaint like that. Um, but she kind of takes takes Dwight with a grain of salt. She's like she's interested enough to hear. Like she'll you know she meets him and she hears hears him out. But 
yeah yeah takes it takes it back to michael now in terms of dwight's relationship to women and mm -hmm. uh i have some questions for you about the liz claiborne outlet <laughs> uh, <laughs> and i just love this is i i mean okay so first one thing i i think a tyler episode also plays with genre and so the fact that like mm -hmm. it flirts with like a Macbeth plot and it, then it becomes almost like a um a spy movie or a sting not a sting more like um like the departed or something where you've got a figure who's betraying another um I'm trying to think of another good example of that but like mob movies you know or whatever where there's an informant or whatever yeah um, because Dwight is kind of you know uh whatever doing you know betraying Michael and then coming back and then having to act like anyway so I just enjoyed this like he's hiding by the bushes he's calling her she's like how do you know that my many of my blouses are Claiborne's this is part of my job no it's officially not uh, or she says how do you know I like that store many of your blouses are Claiborne's I oh, love it Claiborne's <laughs> yes and then later doesn't he say about the earrings from somewhere uh yeah and and Taylor that's it yeah 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 <laughs> you had thoughts on, oh and then he asked did you get anything good new blouse halter top camisole teddy <laughs> he these were interesting and you can like with jan when you watch jan's face or you just kind of listen to her in the interactions when it's on the phone he clearly makes her feel weird and i think there's a like there's this power move in it and I, it might be interesting to think about how this might relate to Pam's new clothes, nice. but it's like there's something about women and clothing at work, and like there's a way for Dwight of kind of asserting some power over her or kind of making her look small or feel small, being, you know, a woman interested in women's things, right? Like yeah. shopping for earrings so there's something about, like both his kind of invasive knowledge it's like this reminder like I am watching you very closely and so you might not feel like I'm tracking your shirt brands but I am mm. so there's that there's like the having his eye on her but also and like I'm thinking about when he tells her about I think it's the Ann Taylor outlet when they're at the diner and she at first like doesn't want to kind of gratify his suggestion but then she's like okay where is it you know so she is she is interested but there's a like a, just kind of an interesting dynamic that's I think making her a little bit smaller like kind of chipping her down in a way and kind of directing her to clothing yeah you're I think that's such a smart point and because it's kind of presented like um an irresistible temptation yeah 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 you know and and he's like there's a new ann taylor outlet and she's like mm -hmm. hesitates and then mm -hmm. you know but i love that for the invasive knowledge mm -hmm. it's so interesting because we have this kind of in a in a sexist world women are supposed to be or the feminine 
the femininity is defined by its spectacularity, right? Like women are supposed to be looked at according to like a patriarchal logic or something like that. And so, but it's interesting that like Dwight isn't, he's not like objectifying her sexually so much as like you said, kind of um, he's, he's assessed her and yeah. read her like a detective or some, or, or, you know, some sort yes. of, it's almost creepier. I mean, it's not creepier than being objective. It's just a different kind of objectification, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're right. To notice the brands and to know, you know, um, and to present it as, as a temptation or something. Yes. It makes me think back to his language about the defects of their kind, because it feels like a get like a kind of, like taxonomy impulse, right? Like the yeah. classification and like getting the labels of things. And yeah, it is creepy in a unique it, and interesting way. It is interesting. It's juxtaposed with Pam getting a new shirt. And I think if I recall, you know, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing explicit. I don't think I'm trying to remember what Pam says when we first discover um, my stuff just got here. Okay. Kelly really likes to online shop. So I felt like I wanted some new clothes. I mean, I just, I wanted to, it just, it felt like it was time to maybe, um, just get new clothes. Mm -hmm. Now, one of my notes was to ask you about the status of, um, in this show, because oh, I love that. the extent to which people use and say, um, and mm -hmm. how it is like filled with meaning, even though it is like a meaningless uh i don't know what do you call it like interjection or something yeah. um yeah now i'm like super self-conscious about all the times i'm saying um but nonetheless uh but so it's you know we as viewers are thinking oh okay she got new clothes because she broke up with roy and she's you know dating again right um yeah. which is the case but later it's sort of revealed why she was dressing in a more like, I don't even know the word to use, but like covered up or a more cons quote unquote conservative mm -hmm. way, because isn't it um, Creed who's like just stands and staring. stares? Yeah. So like we get a, the other more conventional form of objectification in the workplace here. Yeah. Explicitly about clothes. Wow. I'm appreciating this episode even more. Hmm. Me now, too. Do you think she ordered a Claiborne? And also, it does, does Claiborne signify? Like, how does Ann Taylor and Claiborne signify? Any idea? I think, like, professional, like, professional work. I feel like I know more familiarly with Ann Taylor. Yeah, I would say, like, Ann Taylor's kind of professional woman. Liz Claiborne, I think the same, though I don't actually know. Um, there's definitely something interesting when things have a name. You know, like, they're named with a name rather than being, like, the gap. Oh, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the kind of having a label, although I don't think either of them is a super elite label. Right. right. Um, so I feel like they're kind of professional workwear. Pam's is a little different. I really love your question, though, about the um and the status of the um. And it's leading me to kind of connect her responses and Jan's hesitation that you pointed out when Dwight tells her about the new Ann Taylor outlet and the sort of awkwardness, like this need, I think even as Pam is explaining it, it's like there's this need to justify getting new clothes because, you know, online shopping and going to Ann Taylor is kind of frivolous and 
um, you know, maybe on the list of defects like weak arms. Yeah, 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 yeah. And things that are associated, like that are women associated with women's things that then need a kind of justification. Because it feels like in that and with the um, Pam is kind of struggling to explain it. Mm-hmm. As if there's some like would meaning that there's something there that is leading her to need to explain it. Mm. Mm. What did you think of her shirt? Her new shirt. It's like uh, what would you describe it? It's like kind of a cranberry color, like a wine red kind of color. It's got a V-neck. It uh, has little kind of puff sleeves. Not for me. Not for you. <laughs> And Kelly was like, it's so sexy or whatever. I was like, is it? Okay, elaborate. How does this stack up next to the polo? I, I wouldn't go. I mean, it's hard to compete. You wouldn't go that far. Well, I wouldn't go that far. No. No, I thought she looked good in it. And I thought it was, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I Like, again, like I, I shouldn't comment on, I don't know enough about like fashion or about also being colorblind. I'm like, what? what is... What does it look like? But I was having a hard time reading how we were, we, the audience, was supposed to relate to it because I was like, okay, yeah, it is a little more revealing, but it didn't, it, it's kind of the way that the, the actress plays it too. She still seems so unconfident and, yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, so it's not as if she's suddenly like transformed by right. this outfit. Uh, I don't know. What did you think? Yeah. Roy walks in and sees her and he's Roy definitely yeah. thinks it looks good. I feel like she has that look where she feels good in it, but she's kind of like self-conscious about it. Like there's this moment of kind of a smile. Yeah. I think that's Kelly, right? When Kelly is telling her how good she looks and she's like, I don't know. It's too much. Um, so it feels like she is like taking some, pleasure in it or like maybe liking it feeling good in it to an extent but still having that discomfort with it um I thought the color was better for her I think that the pale pink um that her button-down shirt was before it's just like it's too washed out I sometimes think when you've got too many colors too close to your skin tone kind of it's like just washed out I think the shirt color wise popped a little more mm-hmm. um which which was nice creed creed was a lot to handle though looking at this this shirt i will say i <laughs> he made it look or i <laughs> like yeah in his reaction made it look like it was this totally i don't know like revealing yeah. um to use a word from some uh friends in high back in high school hooterific shirt <laughs> <laughs> but it really wasn't um no, no. But wow yeah she she has got to be be cautious around the office and it all goes back to all the comments that she got about her clothes last time before she was going on the date right yeah. in the last episode and michael had said um unbutton that top button and let those things breathe right. so now she doesn't have buttons <laughs> yeah that's it that's it yes um, there it is. Yeah. So maybe it's that it's like it just it just gives a little, a little deeper V. More like Jim and Josh's deep V's. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's a thing that, I mean, now that you're saying, I'm like, oh, it's really, it must have been interesting for the costume designers to choose a shirt that, like, both signifies something that's, like, workplace appropriate, yeah. more revealing only relative to the extent that she's essentially been, like, buttoned up to her neck, right? Like, yeah. so shows yeah. some, you know, of her chest, but, like, not, it's not, you know, like a, yeah. a yeah. club whatever kind of dress or something like that you know and then like something that gives her confidence and makes her pop a little more but also something that she you know wouldn't be so crazy or out of her wheelhouse like yeah I don't know you're making me appreciate yeah. the choice because it's yeah to me I was kind of like oh this isn't that remarkable but I actually think maybe that's part of the point right yeah. is it like it's such a minor change um and then it's going to lead creed and others to stare yeah Ooh, yeah like you really can see how the like the the clothing choices at work are so fraught and it all again goes back to jen's seminar to jan's seminar about women in the workplace yeah 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 um oh that's interesting uh roy i think what I can't remember what Kelly said, but he was it was on his third soda. Yeah, like, like he that. keeps coming up for the vending machines. So, so that was my question. Uh, this was a really, I I've started to think that we should like try to map out the office at some point or whatever. Um, yeah. But a big question I had was like, wait, isn't there a vent? Is this truly the only vending machine in the building? And is it is it the fastest way to get? from the warehouse you can go right up the stairs to the second floor office presumably to get your soda there wouldn't be a vending machine on the first floor like i just was like i mean even so he's yeah. clearly going there to run into pam i get that but i just was curious about I think that. that's i think that's a good a good question and it does <laughs> seem yeah. to be the case because there are times you know, like daryl daryl comes up for stuff daryl comes up to make tea um, so they do seem to occasionally, yeah, come up and use it. It feels like it would make sense for there also to be a vending machine somewhere else, but I think we're meant to believe there's not. And maybe, I mean, actually in a warehouse, in the warehouse itself, there isn't really a good place. Like on the one hand, it's a big space, but it's not really conducive to vending yeah. machines, I would say. You know, who would know? Jim, who knows the vending machine guy? That's true. I can't yeah. remember his name, but. We did hear it at one point. Um, I have, I, I do have another question for you, Tyler. That's something I feel like we got a little bit beyond, but I want to just go back to it quickly, and then uh, maybe we can come forward because we still have to talk about Michael's handling of Dwight. Oh, and there's Stanford. But what did you think about Dwight's order at the diner? <laughs> <laughs> it's like pancakes and waffles, and I think there's some sausage in there. Were there eggs? I couldn't tell if there were eggs or not. Not any eggs. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked this because first I love that whole scene. Um, and I had forgotten in that scene, by the way, just that, uh, Jan asks him, uh, what would you do differently? I'd mm -hmm. forgotten that. So like she theoretically yes, does give right. him a chance. Um, and he's basically saying, you know, fire half the people or whatever. I love that. And then the waitress delivers it and he's like, it's all for me. Thank you. <laughs> um, and shoving it into his mouth, he's, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like acting. What, what does he say? Here we are. It's all on the table. You know, it's so dramatic. Anyway, I just loved how dramatic he is while he's cramming. 
waffles and pancakes <laughs> and whatever in his mouth. But here's the real thing. You know, I love a brunch breakfast. I would eat breakfast food every day, all day. I love it. Um, but the real trick I find is, do you want sweet or savory? This this is a big dilemma, Tyler. It's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's probably yes. the greatest problem we face as human beings. I, I don't think that's an understatement. Uh, and, uh, and here's the thing. As I've grown older, I realize that what I want comes in to conflict with what I need. Now, what I need is like some protein that will not make me want to eat again in about five minutes after leaving breakfast. But what I want is the French toast. I want the, I want blueberry pancakes. I want waffles. Waffles would be my lowest pick though. Uh, Now, if there's some sort of like cinnamon bun with icing situation, I'm, I'm going to want that. Like I want your carbs, your fucking sugars. Uh Uh-huh. I, I don't make good choices and that's what I want anyway. So when I saw him chowing down, I was like, hell yeah, put more syrup on there. <laughs> now, what do you, what's your, what's your vibe? What's your go-to? Well, to me, you got to go one of two directions and it is about, or one of the big considerations is what drink you're going to pair it with. Interesting. Because if it's the sweet. So I don't really want to order a waffle like that i want the pancakes or the french toast i'm with you so that syrup the sweet that i drink with coffee but if i get eggs and hash browns and i'm getting the salty meal then i need it to be with a diet coke like oh. I can't coffee and salty and so that's kind of a complicated situation for me interesting now is the diet coke the logic there that you're getting the caffeine that you would have gotten from the coffee no it doesn't really affect me either way it's just that it's delicious <laughs> i love diet okay. coke now, what about a mimosa or an orange juice based beverage? Is that ever coming into the equation? I'm very open to those. Very open to them. But I got to say, I think Diet Coke is kind of my go to in this situation. I want a Diet Coke now. Oh, God. <laughs> and I'm like, and I, but I do think it's interesting. Both of us aren't waffles people. I feel like lots of people right now listening to this because i'm sure we have thousands of listeners and they're <laughs> all just like furious right i don't know i feel like there are people who are die hard for waffles and i just don't get it i think you're getting way too much of the you know doughy flour or whatever i don't know it's too dry waffles and then you got all your topping i want the topping incorporated into a degree so that's yeah. why I like the blueberries inside my pancakes i don't want them just dumped on top and then whipped cream eh, for breakfast eh. I know. Yeah. Here's the thing. I feel like the difference between homemade waffles and diner waffles, like all you need, you just, if you put something in a waffle iron, it always comes out the same way. But Mm. home pancakes versus diner pancakes are completely different. That is so true. And so that's where like, I'm not going to order something in a restaurant that I can have just as good at home. I want the thing that you do way better than I will ever do. Is, do you like never order chicken at a restaurant for that reason? Oh, I order chicken. I like chicken okay. restaurants. They can make it better than me. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I just feel like I'm not really great at cooking in huh? the first place. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll order whatever. But I feel like I've heard people say that, like, oh, I wouldn't order chicken. This yeah. must be my mother. My mother must have said that. Some, no, wait, no, that can't be because my no, that's a bigger, that's a thing. Yeah, um, I think that that is, that is, it's just, it's just not mine. I have a separate Megan question for you, and it's an important one. Okay. 
<laughs> Bring it on. What is Megan's relationship to video games? And specifically, <laughs> have you ever played anything like Call of Duty? <laughs> Tyler, thank you so much for asking. I've been wanting someone to ask me about this. I it's have never played. I have never played Call of Duty. I did play many years ago in the 90s, maybe the early 90s. My cousins were really into video games. Like they had Nintendo. And I remember them bringing to my grandparents' house, Shoot the Duck. You know that Nintendo game where like it's on the TV and you, you mean- have a plastic gun and you shoot the gun at the TV and you're like shooting ducks as they fly across the screen. So it's like the Oregon Trail of video games. Um, I think it was Duck Hunt. Are you thinking shooter of Duck game. Hunt? Duck Hunt. Yeah. Duck Hunt. And the, the little dog. Move, isn't it? Would the dog come out and like pick up the ducks? Maybe. I can't really remember the details, but that's it. That's it. Yeah. Wait, what okay. is this called again? Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt, yes. Okay, so the Duck Hunting game. So that's kind of what I've played with shooter games. I feel like there might be something that I've tried with somebody like, um, oh, what's the one where like you drive around in a van and uh, I can't remember, but basically I can really relate to Jim because there's maybe one other time I feel like I've tried video games, you know, kind of past duck hunts. Like there's one or two times that I've tried things, not Call of Duty, but other stuff. And I can't understand how to control the player so like Mm. when jim okay so stanford they're playing call of duty which he says was originally a team building exercise but they really got into it and so they play it a lot and he's like stuck in a corner and he can't figure out how to get out and that to me was just maybe the most relatable jim has ever been (laughs) what do you think of call of duty tyler well okay so i have a relationship to video games um (laughs) In that I like, well, I do, I do like playing video games. I kind of go through phases, you know, where I'll like play for a month or whatever, and then like not play for five months or something. But, um, but especially when I was younger, like I remember there was a James Bond video game called GoldenEye, and it was kind of like Call of Duty in that it's a first person perspective and you're shooting and, um, and it's kind of that battle royale kind of thing, like you're with other people and you're you're shooting each other, whatever. Uh, and so that was yeah, I spent many hours of my life playing that game and really, really enjoyed it. However, not great at it. Um, <laughs> so I've never been especially good at uh, those games, even though I kind of enjoy them. Oh. And in college, there were versions. So I never played Call of Duty, but I played. There was like a James Bond game that was similar, a different one. There was um, Halo. I remember people played. I played a few times. I was really bad at that. But the one that I played a bunch was, uh, it was called Medal of Honor. And so it was another World War II, I think that's what it was called, World War II game. And it had the same, you know, basic thing where you're on teams or whatever. But I remember like seeing the video for it, like the commercial. And you basically like, um, what, what is the scene from Saving Private Ryan, the beginning of the movie, where they're like storming Normandy or something like that? You know, like they're re- you're like you're replaying World War II, and I remember being so moralistic and being like, "This, this is so bad." You know that you're having 
a generation of people like make war into this fun simulated adventure and uh-huh. you're taking people's real trauma and you're turning it into just an adventure like it's your little fantasy escape and then i played it and <laughs> oh my fucking god it was so much fun to just like shoot german <laughs> nazis and uh and yeah and whatever so um anyway i, <laughs> I was like well <laughs> So anyway, I, I like Karen really, when she goes Call of Duty. Yeah, 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 exactly. I loved when she did that. Karen, I love that too. On I, that I was like really Karen. Cool. Yeah, I thought she was very endearing in this episode. One thing you said it was so fun to shoot Nazis. That's like a fun detail about this episode <laughs> is that they are the Germans. <laughs> the part where right. Jim is doing okay. One of my favorite scenes. There are a lot of things I like about this episode. One of my favorite scenes is when, um, I should try to pull up the the quote on this, but it's when um, Josh and Andy, Josh, like, they're, so they're playing, they're playing Call of Duty with the whole office. Josh goes, turn, I think he turns on the lights or something, like he shuts it down, stops and pulls Andy and Jim into their conference room. First of all, we started with Michael's office watching 30 minute segments of um, a movie yes that is at least a contained amount of time right josh doesn't get the criticism that michael gets yeah. but he's running this call of duty fest that's going on and off throughout the day that's a great point doesn't seem like the best use of time necessarily but he pulls andy and jim into the office and they are calling jim out for using the wrong um the wrong weapon so josh says <laughs> um we just need a strategy okay we're going to set up a trap in the gun room all right jim are you using the mp40 or the 44 jim um sniper rifle sniper rifle josh snipe andy what jim andy says are you playing for the other team and josh says you don't snipe in carrington okay and then andy says saboteur <laughs> He says, saboteur, I'm going to kill you for real. This game, the game is over. I'm really going to shoot you. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually not even quite where I thought I was going. I think it was going to the place too when, um, yeah, Karen tells him. He doesn't realize that they're playing teams. He doesn't realize, right, that they are the Germans. But I just like it how, (laughs) or I think it's very funny how Josh is calling him out for this kind of strategy meeting. But it's the strategies of actual war or a college war yeah and you know jim is at first just so disoriented but their level of upset at jim is hilarious it's a nut i mean this is just like a passing uh comment but it's kind of nice that um karen is into it and good at it i feel like games are often highly gendered although maybe that's i don't know the extent to which that's changed or not but um at least in terms in terms of like kind of cultural representations, but just that she's super into it and badass and good at it and shoots Jim in the face is kind of yeah, a yeah. funny bit and refreshing. Mm-hmm. Something that I found very interesting in this episode was the play of gazes. And so like there's a moment where she's looking at Jim, Jim turns around, he throws the grenade to her and it like she throws the um all oh, the paper clips paper clips which i thought was hilarious and cute. i love yeah. that yeah very Loved cute it. um 
And then I can't remember, I think he walks away and we watch her watch him mm-hmm. in a very kind of Pam Jim situation in which he's now Pam. Yeah. Um, but then we got some interesting other glances that paralleled this dynamic, like when at the end, Dwight is sitting with Michael and Angela's looking through the window at Dwight, but he mm-hmm. doesn't look back at her. Um, yeah. Or when... I think there's an earlier version of that too, but the one that really stands out to me is when Michael and Dwight are both in the office and Michael turns and looks at us. Dwight is looking at Michael. Uh Uh-huh. Is just, and like, uh, anyway, I I was really enjoying in this episode, the, the gaze and like how people's points of view, how, anyway, I don't even know what to call it. Like, Yes. people's multiple focal points in the episode and so uh i don't know yeah thought of that with karen that and you mentioned that michael looking at us i feel like michael's interactions with the camera there are really interesting and so this is when should we go there should we go to michael do it okay so this is when um dwight comes back to the office this is after jan has called to let michael know that dwight has betrayed him I think that Michael's strategy for handling Dwight is his greatest improv. Ah. Oh, man. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think it is so good. So basically, yeah, when when Dwight comes back, Hmm. Michael has him in his office and he says, right, something like, um, you know, I got this call from Jan and she demoted me. She is giving me your job and she's giving you my job. And so he just like kind of plays it out to see how Dwight will react. And there's something so interesting there, I think, with power, like him having that knowledge and then seeing what Dwight will do, even though Michael knows that the reality is different than the one that he's telling him. And I just, I felt like this was a really good move on Michael's part. I mean, now that you say that, I'm like, whoa, that's, it's kind of mind blowing to think how effective he is actually at, uh, I don't know whether you want to call it pranking Dwight or manipulating Dwight or or whatever. Um, I, but the fact that you call it improv is so right. Like that is what it is. And it keeps adding on right like so he starts with like taking an m&m then he looks in his teeth and says like you yes. should talk more he asks him about the dentist whose name is crentist <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then when he's uh, pretends to be demoted he gives him the sebring which is my mm-hmm. favorite bit. um and, and then like, he wants something german instead <laughs> let's go tell everybody and he's like i'll do it when i'm ready mike like you know dwight yes. starts changing his name and like um I love it that he calls him Mike. Like his whole his demeanor, attitude, like his way of using language just changes there so quickly. And then uh I'm trying to think what else he does to him. There's something oh, he's improving when people are like, What about your condo? Right? Like that kind of stuff, right? Like yes. yeah. You know, are you gonna be okay or something like that? So um, so you're right. He is good at at lying here, on you, which is somewhat unusual, right? Yeah, I think so. 
And he does. So it's interesting that when he has those moments when he he looks at the camera as he's doing it, yeah, you know, because he's like in cahoots with us and with the camera, but not with anybody else. Because the people in the office are genuinely concerned for him. Yes, yes, yes. When they hear that this is going to happen, including Kevin, I think this is a moment too when we see like Kevin is, um, like, you know, he sometimes comes across as an idiot, but I feel like. Often in these moments, he's got some good financial awareness. You know, he's like, this might, this, what is this going to mean for your condo? Stanley comes in and just asks, okay, but why Dwight? <laughs> and Michael says, because he never lies. Oh, and I love the uh, Phyllis's line, like a broken vacuum cleaner. Maybe that could be the next manager or something. Yeah, Pam. Is Pam, oh, Pam says that, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Phyllis says, maybe I'll quit. You're right. Yeah. So... Yeah, because it's interesting because then people, yeah, people are not all necessarily very happy with Michael, but they expect it to be much worse with Dwight. Um, I like the way that Michael in one of his interviews describes this. He says, business is like a jungle and I am like a tiger and Dwight is like a monkey that stabs the tiger in the back with a stick. Does the tiger fire the monkey? Does the tiger transfer the monkey to another branch? Fun. And like catches the lever. Uh, there's no way of knowing what goes on in the tiger's head. We don't have the technology. <laughs> the place where he arrives, we don't have the technology to get in a tiger's head. But the tiger was a metaphor for him uh, himself as he's like, you know, trying to sort out and decide what he's going to do. <laughs> so I don't know. I just, it, it, it reminded me too of when. Like going to this kind of jungle language of animals, of tigers and monkeys reminded me of when Dwight has his other opportunity of getting some power. And that goes all the way back to season one, episode three, the healthcare episode, when Dwight is in charge of the healthcare. And so that's actually interesting as an another, like an earlier moment of seeing what happens to Dwight, like how does Dwight handle his power? Um, and he says, what did I do? I did my job. I slashed benefits to the bone. I saved this company money. Was I too harsh? Maybe, but I don't believe in coddling people. In the wild, there is no healthcare. In the wild, healthcare is, ow, I hurt my leg. I can't run. A lion eats me and I'm dead. No, I'm not. I'm the lion. You're dead. So the reason I was reminded of that is just this interesting move of going <laughs> to like the language of wild cats <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah to think about what is the decision that i'm gonna make in the office either for in dwight's case to justify destroying people's health care or in michael's to think about what am i going to um what am i going to do how am i going to handle dwight and so he envisions himself as the tiger like kind of playing around, playing with, messing with the monkey. Yeah, the the metaphors that get invoked to describe business or office environments really interesting in the show. Just a really quick one was when Michael's like, "Should we go tell the troops?" Which yeah. is kind of interesting on its own terms. Um, yeah, but hmm. I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Kevin is. You said he's empathetic. 
uh, what's his face? Stanley is like, you know, incredulous and like what qualifies. It's kind of interesting to see how everybody reacts, not only to Michael being demoted, but more specifically to Dwight being promoted and like yeah. Yeah. And their kind of like sense of his why him or, you know, what makes him mm-hmm. uh, particularly deserving or something. Uh, and so, yeah, we do get a little bit of a taste of how Dwight is going to run things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love the line where he says, uh, what is it? I just want to say to the few of you who will remain under my employ, that I <laughs> intend to lead you into the black with ferocity. <laughs> uh, and Angela's like clearly beaming. And I just, yes. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Like the way that he is kind of back to that Dwight speech, you know, kind of yes. rhetoric. Um <laughs> He mobilizes so quickly. <laughs> yeah. But what makes Michael break is the Sebring. I was yes. curious if you had a theory on that, but he's like, you you said you liked it. You've always admired it. Uh, take it back. No, that's my car. What do you, that's my car. You know, and then he's like, I know Jan called me, et cetera. Um, and Dwight immediately says, I think the Sebring's cool. It's cool. The Sebring's cool. It has a cassette and it has a CD. <laughs> So uh, it's the car that mm. is what outs it. Um, yeah. Any theory on the Sebring? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, Michael does have a lot of pride in that Sebring. So I feel like it kind of hits close to the heart. I think it's funny that Dwight mentions when he's like, no, he's, th- he's thinking about getting something German for his company yeah. car. Michael's got his American-made GM, right? Is it Sebring GM? I don't know. I should check that. Um, so that was just kind of uh, like dimension or a, a layer to it. But Chrysler. I don't know. Chrysler, okay, yeah. So he's got, it seems like he has a lot of his pride in his job is bound up in that car. It also feels like it's something where it goes back to specific conversations almost or like particular commitments that Dwight has made so in terms of the job of course he always knows that Dwight wants to be a manager of some kind but I wonder if there's something that feels even a little more specifically um like stabbing kind of um in that Dwight, it sounds like Dwight has like they clearly had conversations about this and Dwight has admired the car and so there's something about like, the specificity of that lie almost that now the way all that is dropping and partly because that's their, not just their work relationship, but that's kind of their friendship. Mm. I like, guess talking about why the car is cool. Right, right. So it's like, there's something about it that does seem to cut deeper with that car. I I just love, okay, so first the episode is called The Coup, you know, so The Coup is Dwight's um, overthrow or whatever. Or um, Jim's Jim's sabotage. Or Jim's sabotage. Um, but what I really like is that within seconds of Dwight taking power, the mask falls and he's just like, yes. he, I am no longer a, a toady, uh, a supplicant to you. And, um, and I'm just going to be, you know, exactly 
you know, I'm, I am in charge here. And, and, and what I love about that is like, I have definitely had that fantasy. Like, I feel like there are, you know, ex the experience of getting tenure, for example, you know, is like for seven years. I, I mean, I feel like I'm, I just don't have the capacity to not like basically be myself, but you know, there are definitely times when you're toning it down or being nice to people or whatever, and you have the fantasy of like, oh, one day, like, you know, if I was in, <laughs> if I was tenured or if I, you know, and if I could uh -huh. say, it, I mean, not like, I don't know, I'm yeah. probably going to cut this out of the podcast, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but I just feel like I definitely in, had the fantasy of like, if I was the boss instantly, I would just do things <laughs> my way without like apologizing for it or being like, yeah, no, I said, I really like the way you did it, but actually I don't. So <laughs> I was just really, I, I think I was having a fantasy of, of Dwight there. <laughs> but Michael is hurt, you know, his, his he's not as admired as he thought he was. Dwight begs and begs. Um, and uh, the deal is he's going to do the laundry for a year. Um, he's going to stand uh, and hold that sign. I can't remember what it says, idiot or something. Uh Oh, good question. Hold on, I just had it, but I can't remember. I just saw a picture of it. And for then, liar, liar, liar. And um, but before that reveal, the two of them are watching a movie and eating popcorn. And I was like, wait, are they watching Varsity Blues without the rest of the office? <laughs> or are it we? Seems like they stayed at night, right, to watch. I couldn't tell because Angela's there, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. That's a good question. One thing about so Dwight standing up out in like the public square with his liar sign. When was it that Dwight talked about how he thinks that we should bring back the stocks? Oh, my God. You're right. <laughs> That's a really fitting. It's like an appropriate, appropriate punishment for Dwight. I love that liar is on the sign that that's what upset Michael in a way, you know, it's yeah. not a traitor. Yes. Liar. Yes. The lying about Crentist. it's like you know yeah that is interesting so jim is labeled a saboteur and dwight is labeled as liar and then in various one for using the wrong gun in a video game the other one for actually trying to overthrow the branch <laughs> now michael uh he says um hug it out bitch I that love is what men say to each other after a fight they hug it out <laughs> and doing so they just let it go and walk away and they're done. Not a good idea to say that to a woman. However, I have found it doesn't translate, uh, <laughs> which I thought was like, well, I guess Michael is slowly learning here. This is another instance of Michael's like progressive learning about what to say and what is not appropriate. But I just Googled hug it out, bitch. Let's hug it out, bitch. Do you know what it's from? No. Entourage. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, wow. I love that layering and that reference. Oh, that's so cool. It makes me wonder how much else we're missing. Like, because that is, I never would have thought, oh, that's like a specific reference to a specific. I mean, I wonder if it's even the episode that they're, that they huh. watched or something. Okay. So we got to look, we got to look into that. I will say I have once tried Hug It Out Bitch on, um, a woman, a family friend, but who is significantly older than me. And Michael's right. You got to be careful. It doesn't necessarily translate. What was the context for that? What were, had you guys been fighting or something? 
No. The context was, oh gosh, the context was um, going to a football game. So not really my terrain anyway, but this was Michigan, Wisconsin. She had gone to Michigan, huge Uh, Michigan fan. I had gone to Wisconsin and um, I didn't care about the game at all, but I felt like it was, it was a perfect kind of context for a hug it out bitch. She was taken aback. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I this learned. Like, I love that you, you made a bold choice and I love that you did that. <laughs> I did. I did. And uh, I'm not regretting it. You know, I learned my lesson and it was, it was a good thing. Well, I have a question for you. Is it about what the Dundies? Have a Dundee. Yeah. I've got a Dundee. Yeah. For me, this one was easy. This is the manhandling award and it goes to Jan Levinson. What? Are you surprised? I am. Go on. Um, I just felt like she handled all of the men she had to handle really well. <laughs> um, you know, she went in, she shut down Michael's movie day. She was very clear about how stupid it was. She dealt with Dwight, went back to Michael, had him handle it. Um, and I think, though, the key moment, like the pivotal moment was when Dwight calls her and he says, it's Dwight Schrute. And she just lets out this big sigh. (laughs) And you can just hear the sigh on the phone, which is so good. And then she says, you should talk to Michael, then he'll talk to me. And that way we don't have to speak to each other. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Jan is very deserving of this award. But it sounds like you don't agree. I thought we might have the same Dundee again. Oh, no. no. Okay. <laughs> it's going to shock and surprise you. Um, All right. Let's hear it. I can't wait. Now, I thought I thought about this um, uh, a bit. <laughs> and I wanted, there were two runners up. Um, you know, number one, I, re- I feel like we're starting to get to see Karen. And I mm-hmm. liked her. Yeah. Uh, shooting Jim in the face, but I loved her grenade <laughs> thing and I loved her Call of Duty moment, you know. So I really enjoyed that. I felt Kelly was genuine and supportive of Pam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really thought that was sweet. She's like telling her she looks hot and sexy and she's saying, well, don't get rid of it, you know, save it for a day. Yeah. Um, and those are all really like great moments, but I didn't think that they were significant enough to the plot. I feel sometimes mm-hmm. that I need my Dundee increasingly i've been thinking of the dundee as a plot Hmm. uh, oriented i like this yeah question and so my dundee is going it's the saboteur award (laughs) and it's going to angela (laughs) because without angela we do not have a plot at all and even though she only has like a few scenes she cracked me up like i love the like some people don't like moving Mondays. And she's like, I don't, I don't approve. Of <laughs> and the way that she's like, you know, manipulating Dwight and then her reactions when he takes over. And then when he basically like undermines her, I just thought it was so funny. And um, nice. so her, she sabotaged herself, but, um, but she I, is like the evil heart of the entire narrative here. That's what I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's my Great. pick. Great. I love it. Well, Tyler, next time we're moving on to season three, episode four, whose title I forgot to look up. 
grief counseling. I was oh, just grief. frantically Googling. Okay. Okay. Thank grief you. Counseling. I wonder what that'll be. Okay. Yeah. We'll yeah, find out. Very excited. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.